Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled. I've been telling my story there of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety more than eight years ago. So I tell my story there and hold space for your stories here. And I can add to my list of accomplishments as of this week, author, because uh, the The little book that I wrote this week called The Unpickled Holiday Survival Guide is now available on Amazon in ebook and print, and I could cry. I feel like I've just given birth. It was like so emotional this weekend, getting it done and getting it posted, feeling that complete mix of excitement and fear of, you know, what if everyone hates it? Or as I was telling a friend this morning, you know, I feel like this is my baby and I think it's so great, but what if, what if people think my baby's ugly? <laughs> so anyway, um, I am fully confident that you will enjoy it and I, I hope you will. Um, proceeds, proceeds from this book um, do support uh, this program. So uh, if you enjoy the show, I really would be so grateful and so happy if you were so kind as to pick up a copy for yourself. And each chapter has a section for family and friends that talks about things they can do to support you as a person in recovery uh, as it relates to each chapter. And so uh, it's the kind of book where, you know, get a copy for yourself and then get another copy for your partner or family members or friends to read so that they can gain some insight on what life is like for you as well as a person in recovery. So that's what's going on here. So we're into November. We all survived Halloween and we are moving on into the winter months. Of course, I'm in Canada, so we've already had snow that's come and gone and come and gone and I'll be skiing in a few weeks here. But I hope all of you are feeling good and feeling really solid in your recovery as we go into, well, first of all, daylight savings time just happened. So The days are shorter and uh, we have a little less sunshine to keep us cheerful, so we'll have to work a little harder to keep our spirits strong and up. So today on the show, I am super excited to welcome Colleen Schroeder. Colleen is in recovery herself and she's a recovery coach and she's here to share her story with us and tell us all about what life in recovery has meant for her. Hi, Colleen. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much for having me. I, I told you off air, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. 
<laughs> thanks for having me. I'm like, I listen to your podcast all the time and I'm like, oh my God, these people are so brave. And now I'm sitting here heart pounding as I'm about to share my story. Uh, thank you for, thank you for feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I really appreciate that. And I know that, um, uh, that it means a lot to you to give service because, you know, you know how much this helps people. So um, I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to do it. So thanks for being here. Oh, thanks. And uh, yeah, all the stories shared before me really helped in my journey. So I guess I could just jump right into it if we're ready. Oh, absolutely. Please tell us about yourself. All right. Sounds good. So I feel like I'm giving a roster on myself. So I'm 30 years old. I live outside of Chicago in a suburb um, with my husband and dog, Theo. I'm hoping he remains quiet throughout the podcast. But um, so I grew up in the Chicago area. I'm the third of four kids. We're, we're all relatively close in age. I think we're all within five years of each other. So a lot of the same friends, a lot growing up super close with everyone, um, pretty happy childhood. Drinking wasn't really a thought growing up. Um, my mom was never really a drinker. She would have one to two. I guess that's what I consider a non-drinker, someone who could have one to two. Um, my dad, he drank socially, but it was never something that stood out to me as a problem or anything like that. Um, I'm Irish Catholic, so there's a lot of drinking going around, and that was just normal to me, but it never really seemed like the adults in the room got out of hand. Um, I was also labeled the worrier growing up out of the four kids, so now I know that is anxiety. So they, my, my parents and siblings would just tell me, oh, your cousin's a worrier, or your grandma was a worrier, that's just how you are. Um, but, um, yeah, so I definitely, it manifested a lot in, like, OCD tendencies, like counting or, this is, it sounds so sad now, I want to, like, hug this little kid that I was, but, like, checking on my parents to make sure they were okay and just, um, like, if they were sleeping at night, I'd be like, okay, my dad's breathing, and that sounds so sad, but I was just such a nervous <sighs> kid. But overall, I was, it was pretty happy. Um, I definitely got along with everybody and at school and I had, I got along with everybody, but I only really kept to a couple of close friends growing up, but generally it was pretty happy. Um, as for alcohol, mainly moving into high school, that's when it started as it does for a lot of people. And I mentioned I'm one of four kids and my oldest brother was a senior when I was a freshman in high school. So he did not start drinking until he was a senior um, with his friends. So he didn't drink all throughout high school. And I just thought it was so cool that he was drinking. And, you know, I joined in a couple times freshman year with his friends. And I remember being in my parents' basement, looking in the mirror after drinking some sort of whiskey and just doing what all those, what all drunk people do, staring in the mirror as it's kind of wobbling and be like, whoa, is, is this what drunk is? Like, oh, I don't know if I like it, love it, hate it, but I kind of feel good. Like, not all of that anxiety melted away, and it was just a different feeling. And at, at that point, it's just so new and exciting. It's just like, you want to do it again. That was, that was really cool. So first part of high school, a lot of my drinking happened with my brother and his friends in some sort of way, just because I more so looked up to him and if he's doing it, it must be okay because, he, you know, we were all pretty good kids, never really got into too much trouble. And then moving into, like, sophomore year, it started to become a more regular thing. I played volleyball. So I had 
my high school friends from the actual school, and then I played travel volleyball. And a lot of the activities with both of my friend groups started to revolve around drinking. So this is the point where it started to become an every weekend type of thing. So pretty much until I quit drinking. So that's really when the drinking took off. It was always, you know, once it became a more regular thing, it was like, who's getting the alcohol? How can we get it? It was just so exciting and so fun. And that obviously changes. But one of the first stories I remember um, being with a friend group drinking outside of like my family was I was playing a drinking game with all of my friends and I lost the card or card betting or whatever we were playing. And I was supposed to take a sip of alcohol. I ended up drinking the whole thing because I didn't know any better. And I just thought that's how you played. And everyone started cheering me on. So I'm like, okay, this feels good. I've never been a cool, like I've been liked. I've never been cool, but I feel cool right now. So that was kind of the first time I felt I'm like, okay, like if you're a big drinker, that like makes you cool. So I'm starting to build an identity at this point, And that story always sticks out to me. And plus, like all the anxiety is gone. Um, I never really had any boyfriends in high school or college. And it was easy to talk to guys. And it's just, it was good. Um, I still was very responsible at that point. I wasn't going out and blacking out. I still had to be home by a curfew. And there was really no consequences. I know there was sometimes where I would things would get out of hand if I was sleeping over but at this point it's just a good time um nothing really um, bad had happened in high school and then um I did go to college on a volleyball scholarship so my um my college experience was not very different from everyone else's besides the fact that I played volleyball huge binge drinking culture um I guess the point that was different was that I was restricted to limited nights of drinking because of practice. So we had a 24 hour rule, which meant we couldn't drink before games or practices. So the way our season worked out was you could drink on Saturday nights. And I'm definitely the type of person who just gets so excited for events. And that's definitely a trigger for me. It's like, when I want to feel feelings, I want to feel more feelings. Or if I don't want to feel something, I, you know, would drink over it. So I would just get so excited for these Saturday nights and we're just getting ready with my friends and they're taking forever. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, don't these people know there's like more alcohol in a party? Like, let's get this going. Let's get ready. Let's move a little quicker. Let's get to the party. So just right out of the gate, my first night out in college was ended up in a really bad blackout. And I just thought it was normal because my brothers and ever, my friends from home, we would all joke about, oh, I, I don't remember the end of my night. And it was cool. And I remember talking to the girls on my team the next day. They're like, you did what? I'm like, yeah, like, that's normal, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that isn't normal. But I mean, in this time, like, so pretty much every Saturday night, um, same type of drinking, usually don't remember the end of my night. And really, I was starting to question, like, okay, Colleen, before I went out, I would be like, okay, you don't have to drink all the alcohol. There will be alcohol there tomorrow. So now looking back, that was kind of the start of, okay, like, you, you don't need to get this drunk. Because along with those Saturday nights was crippling anxiety on Sunday. Um, my college was in Chicago and my parents lived in the suburbs. So 
most Sundays I would have to go home because I just, you know, those, the, the Sunday scaries when you think everyone hates you, you don't want to see anybody. It's like, who do you have to apologize? And really the only bad thing I was probably doing was dancing really silly with people. And I, I never really did anything that bad, but um, it was just crippling anxiety. And I would have to constantly be around people on Sunday just to manage it. So that was pretty much the college drinking. And then in off season, I would drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and just, it, it was just a lot. And I remember looking around once at a party, like looking at everybody and I was like, wow, I really love to drink. I don't know if everyone else likes to drink as much as me. And I was like, am I different? And I didn't, I didn't really like put that. And they're like, no, I, everyone loves to drink like this. But then I remember being offered drugs and I told them, I'm like, I can't do any drugs because if I love drinking this much, I'm scared that whatever that drug will do to me and I'm going to fall in love. So I was kind of smart from the get go on that. But um, it's funny how you don't really think of alcohol as a drug back then, but that's beside the point. Um, and then another unfortunate thing in college, we had um, our season was ending, and this is a, a story that kind of started to pivot how I thought about alcohol. My season was ending for volleyball, and it was our last pretty much game. And then a couple girlfriends and I we were like, oh, okay, whatever, the season's over, we can do whatever we want. I ended up splitting a handle of vodka with three other people and I don't know how much I drink long story short is no one really knew where I was for about four hours which is so scary as like now that I'm looking back like what could have happened but I just ended up going home and turning on a bath and I never got in and ended up flooding like two or three floors down a couple rooms out I was mortified I got in so much trouble I had to pay for everyone's you know, belongings that got messed up. Um, they made me go to therapy sessions with the, like, um, campus housing or, like, the social workers on school. I got in a lot of trouble with our athletic department. It was mortifying. I was in the newspaper, and I just remember thinking, like, I can't keep doing this. And then the following weekend, I was sitting in the athletic trainer's office just asking him like what do people do that like don't drink I'm trying not to drink this weekend and take it easy and it was so hard for me like I couldn't just have like a weekend of not drinking like why is this so so difficult so that was like the first time it's like okay like I really need to start reevaluating this and I remember sitting in the therapist's office because I had to go and she goes do you think you have a problem with drinking and in my head I'm screaming yes course like look what I just did but I'm like no I don't think so and I just lied and said oh I had a couple beers and slept walk and turned on my bathtub like complete lie but I just knew what I had to say um and then she was like do you suffer from anxiety and I, I said yes but I just felt like in that moment I knew what I should say but I didn't have the emotional maturity to get those words out or come clean about it because I know like once you kind of say you have a problem with alcohol, it's kind of hard to go back. Like if you do want to continue drinking. And I knew that from an early age, I even, I even talked with my friends about it who are pretty heavy drinkers that they don't want to come out as whatever an alcoholic, even though who really uses that much anymore. So I knew from an early age, like once you come out, it's kind of hard to go back, but overall, I mean, I was a partier, but I still got things done, graduated, everything's fine. Um, 
I ended up moving back in with my parents after college for two years. So it was um, 2011, so it was like we were coming out of the recession, or it was hard to get jobs at that point, and I didn't really have a lot of career experience outside of I played volleyball. I had a measly internship that was unpaid that was one, one day a week, so I really didn't know anything I was doing, but I did get a sales job in August of that year, and my uncle had gotten me the interview, so I felt a really a need to impress and make him look good and do good at the job, which I did. And I, I didn't really drink much during the week because I really wanted to perform well. And, um, and I didn't really have any responsibilities. I didn't have rent because I was living at home. And, yeah, it was just it was a good learning experience. And then so I, just, I lived there for two years at my parents' house. I was doing the same college drinking. So I was so responsible during the week. And then 5 o'clock on Friday would hit, and it would be – balls to the walls, we're drinking wine, like, but now I have a paycheck. So that was the good part. So before you had the job, it's like, okay, this sounds horrible, but it's like, okay, what guy can I talk to? Who's going to buy me a drink? Like, I'm not going to spend a lot of money, so I got to work for my drinks, and that sounds horrible. I'm not proud of it. But, um, but now it's like, okay, I can drink. I have a paycheck. No one, I don't have to rely on anyone to buy me a drink. Um, so, yeah, a lot of my disposable income just went to the bar. So, and then in uh, 2013, I moved to Chicago. So that's when things escalated a little bit quicker. I moved in with my friend, and we've always been just the fun partiers. So when you're living in a big city, there's stuff to do every night, trivia, volleyball leagues, meet up at a bar for drinks or whatever. So there's a lot of that going on and just trying to figure out how to be an adult. I never had to pay bills at that point. So it's just like a lot of learning, a lot of drinking, kind of chaotic at that point. And I got involved with a man who was much older. I started dating him. So he was so much different than everyone else that I've ever been friends with or associated with who are all, you know, how you, you hang out with people who you're like, and he told me, he's like, I think you drink way too much. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm 24 years old. Everybody drinks like this. Like, this is just normal. This is what you do. And so long story short, is he's the first guy that called me out that I drank too much. Um, but that didn't work out. So about six months later, continuing drinking, going out, being single in the city. And then I ended up meeting my now husband, Aaron. And he also said, wow, you drink quite a bit. And I'm like, okay, shape up or shape out. This is my personality. Like, either get on or get off. Like, we, like this is what I do. This, I'm a partier. This is, like, my identity. So then he, he, being the nice human that he is, he kind of picked up my tendencies. And we would drink a lot together. We would eat. Like, restaurants and bars were our thing. So, we continue this lifestyle for a couple of years, just going out, having our own little bar crawl throughout the city, and it became kind of like our couple identity. Um, so, and then at this point, we're we're working out. We're almost like punishing ourselves for drinking so much. But if we, by God, if we didn't make it to our 8 a.m. workout on Saturday, we couldn't day drink all day after that. So, yeah. And then. Um, Throughout this relationship, throughout my relationship with my husband, boyfriend at the time, I mentioned quite a bit, like, 
this lifestyle is not sustainable. I was already thinking future down the line with kids. I'm like, I really don't want to be a mom that's hung over on Saturday and Sunday and like being really short with her kids because she's tired. And I was just thinking this already. And this is probably all happening, these conversations while I'm drinking a bunch of wine on the couch complaining to him. And I was starting to have all these feelings of there's got to be more in life than working and getting drunk on the weekends because that's all I was doing. I had no real drive in my career. I'm still in the same pretty much entry-level sales position at this point. I had no desire to get a promotion. I kind of just wanted to remain under the radar so I can get away with mediocrity but not getting in trouble. So I was just feeling really stuck and knowing that it was kind of that uncomfortable time where you know change is going to happen soon, but you don't know how soon. So at the end of 2015, I ended up getting a new job, a new sales job, um, and that was at work from home and travel. And I honestly have no idea why they hired me at that point because their whole, what we were selling was on a selling freeze. We weren't able to sell any of our products. So they basically paid me to stay home all day and maybe answer like three emails, which sounds like a dream to most people, but really it's just like, you have so much anxiety. You're like, are they going to let me go? Like, why did they hire me? Like, there's nothing to do. And it was just a toxic environment for me and like boredom is also a trigger for me so being bored all day I just by five o'clock I would just need I'm like oh my god I just need some excitement let's open the wine and the excitement for me at that time was opening the wine and turning on Bravo TV and hanging out with my friends I'm doing quotations in my office right now but drinking with the housewives And my husband would, like, um, boyfriend at the time, he would get home and he'd be like, are you drinking? Not in, like, a condescending or, like, judgmental way. He's like, oh, okay, it's a weeknight. What are you doing, Colleen? Um, And I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm just drinking with my friends. I was, like, super bored today. Now I'm just drinking with the housewives, just trying to make it justifiable and, like, almost justifying it to myself. Um, but it was definitely getting harder and harder. Um, and by this point, anxiety is still happening. Rules are still in place. Like at this point now, I would every Sunday I would be like, okay, Colleen, just make it to Friday. You don't have to drink this week. Like you can do it. It'll be okay if you don't drink during the week. And then by Tuesday, I'd be like gritting it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so bored in this job. I just want to drink. So then I would make it Monday, Tuesday, and then by Wednesday, I'm like, whatever, who cares if I drink? Like, I deserve it. Like, I haven't done anything all day. So then, and guaranteed, any day of the week that I would drink, so say I started drinking on Wednesday, it would always turn into Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If I started on Tuesday, it would be the whole week. I don't know how, like, why that pattern happened the way it did, but that's how it would be. And it was just getting so hard. Like, I could not make it through, and I'm like, this is I don't, so this has got a hold on me. But thank God that job only lasted about 11 months where I got my current position at a much better company that suited to me. It's a health foods company. Um, so I had a lot more responsibility. It's still a sales job, still a lot of travel. Um, 
but I definitely needed my brain to, you know, do the job at hand. So I was definitely not drinking during the week as much because I wanted to make a good impression. Um, with sales and traveling, there is it's a heavy drinking culture, but I was always, well, I tried to be smart enough to not get super drunk in front of my coworkers. So I didn't want, because I, I knew my capability and, and what I am capable of, of like blacking out and just being silly and, so I really tried to keep a lid on it, but sometimes it would, you know, it would show its head. So I really was conscious of um, of not drinking too much with coworkers. Um, at this point, I just had gotten engaged, um, and thoughts were still circling. If you know, I'm like, God, I really don't want to drink anymore, but this is such a big year for me. Like, there's so many parties. How could I ever make it through without drinking? And I remember telling my sister, like, I, I didn't outwardly tell her that I wanted to quit drinking, but I remember telling her for my bachelorette party, I'm like, I just really want something low-key. And because I was, I was just, like, honestly, like, dying inside, but, like, I, don't, I didn't feel like I could tell anybody. Um, and she's like, no, Colleen, like, none of your friends will have fun if you are a sober bachelorette. Like, get it together. This is just one of your phases. And. I've tried to quit multiple times, like for a week at a time before. So sometimes people don't believe me, but um, so these thoughts are still happening. And then a real turning point for me and why I think it's so important if you're comfortable to share your story is a friend of a friend of mine posted on Facebook that she was two months sober. And I just thought that is the coolest thing ever. And at, at this point I am struggling to get together three, four days of not drinking and here she is two months sober and I've partied with her a lot and I know how she drinks. So I'm like, how is she doing that? Like I was so amazed and I, I have to tell her about this now that I'm saying this out loud, like how impactful her one little message of I'm too much sober on Facebook really meant to me. So, and that's why I'm, I'm hoping this helps somebody else as they're listening. Um, but then I move into January of 2017. Um, I did a dry January because the holidays were particularly rough. 2016, I blacked out a couple times at family gatherings, and it just wasn't a good look. Um, I always think things are way worse than they probably actually are when you get super drunk, but there's just a lot of conversations that I didn't remember, and I I just really wanted a clean slate to the new year. And I called it a dry January just because I was too scared to say it out loud that I wanted to quit. So I made it about 28 days. And I think the 28th day landed on a Friday. And I was jumping out. And at this point, I wasn't really doing anything to stay sober, like listening to podcasts, reading books or anything like that. I was just dry, just trying to get grit and bear through it so that Friday I remember just walking around our little Chicago apartment and being like god I want to drink so bad but I only have a couple more days to dry January and I'm like okay if I'm if I walk around the block and I still want to drink I'm going to drink so I did my little 20 minute walk around the block or a couple blocks and I came home and that craving was as strong as when I left so I'm like whatever okay I'm going to drink I ended up drinking only a half a bottle of wine. And I, I told my fiance now at the time, he, I was like, I think I'm a normal drinker. I only had half a bottle of wine. And he's like, okay, like maybe, maybe 
you're cured. And then um, I woke up. I felt like crap after just half a bottle of wine. And then the next couple times I drank, it was one, two glasses. But then it just slowly crept back up. And then I was just back to my same old ways. So I'm like, I always try to think, I'm like, oh, could I ever go back and be a moderator? I'm like, when am I a moderator at anything? Like everything I do, I'm like, right before this interview, I was like, okay, I'm going to have one serving of chips, but then I had the whole bag. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I was like, I really thought maybe I I changed into being a normal drinker, which definitely wasn't true. Um, So the year goes by, I have a couple more bad, a couple, a lot more bad drinking episodes of a couple that were enough to make me want to quit. I think they were in June of that year before I got married, June of 2017. And my fiance and I at the time, we were so obsessed with making lists of fun things to do without alcohol. And like, we were so worried life would be so boring without it. We would come up with like a hundred things to do if you're sober and like, hope that would make us feel better, but we would always end up drinking a couple days later. Um, And then in September of 2017, I got married and it was a wonderful day. Um, On Thursday, people started coming into town. Our wedding was on a Saturday. Of course, me, I get so excited. I end up drinking way too much Thursday, blacking out, stumbled out of a cab, had like a little bruise on my arm for the wedding. And I'm like, why are you like this? it's like, this is such an exciting time and you're blowing it. You're just drinking it away. And I, for months leading up to the wedding, I was so focused on not being the drunk bride and just being present. I'm like, all these people are here. You want to enjoy it. And I was so worried about that. And, and then, so that Thursday was a, a rough night. And then I went into Friday with my friends with a nail salon. I ended up drinking champagne all day and trying to sober up in the afternoon for the rehearsal. And one of Aaron's friends mentioned to me, he's like, you smell like alcohol. I'm like, well, yeah, I've been drinking for 36 hours. Of course I smell like alcohol. (laughs) Um, But then the wedding, I was just so tired by the wedding day. It was a lot of coffee and going on, but it was, it was a great day, but there was a, I, I wasn't the super drunk bride, but my aunt did tell me around Christmas that year that, Oh, last time I saw you, you were wasted. I'm like, that was my wedding. Um, but so the wedding was great. And then when it ended, there was a bar near the reception. So we went to the bar and I told Aaron, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to drink. And I immediately took like three shots of vodka. Cause I'm like, I don't got to put on a front for anyone. The wedding's over. Like, let's get wild. And I did. And it was, I was out to like 4am. It was still a lot of, it was fun, but it was just like, why, why do you need to do that on your wedding night? Um, and then the honeymoon, um, we went to Hawaii, and it, we would usually do, like, a daytime activity, um, like hiking or something like that, to not feel so guilty about then drinking all day. So we would try to get something done, and then we would just go to the pool and drink all day. And, I mean, it was fine, but it's just, like, we were always chasing that next drink. Like, I was never completely happy during any event, like, in the morning, because I knew after that was this was just a stepping stone to getting drunk and that's how I was with pretty much every vacation um so that so now we're into October of 2017 and um some more bad blackouts wine tasting a couple of that 
one particular um, bad episode was uh, Aaron's sister-in-law or my sister-in-law, um, they got engaged and I was so excited for them. They had such a beautiful engagement planned a, a couple weekends after our wedding and we were invited and Aaron and I were in charge of um, buying all the alcohol for the trolley. And mind you, there was only like 10 to 12 people and we ended up spending $350 on alcohol because we're like, yeah, every, every person needs one bottle of champagne. Everyone needs at least 10 drinks each. We just think like sometimes, okay, they're just going to drink like us. Ended up being a ton left over. Um, I'll get into this later, but at the time I was eating gluten-free and there was no food available for me. Um, I was just drinking on an empty stomach. We went to a winery. I ended up blacking out around like 6 p.m. and like waking up at 3 a.m. like, oh my God, how did I get here? And just all of those feelings of did I ruin an engagement? I know I haven't because I, I remember that part, but you tell yourself these things and you just think you're the worst person in the world and nothing could make it better. I was like trying to wake up Aaron, like, Aaron, how did I get here? Did I ruin anyone? Does anyone hate me? Do I have to apologize? Just, oh my God, I do not miss those skin crawling anxiety episodes after a night of drinking. And there was a half drank white claw on the nightstand. And this was the first time like I'd ever like woken up with anxiety and had these thoughts. I mean, um, I've gone to brunches and drank in the morning, but it was more of like a social thing. But when I saw that white claw on the nightstand, I was like, I could drink this and probably feel a little bit better. But I was like, Oh my God, Colleen, that is like really bad. You're trying to drink in the morning. Like that's, you've never done that. Like, so I just, I didn't drink it. I was, the thoughts were already swirling, like, oh, my God, I, I really just need to give this up. Like, but it has such a grip on me. Um, so that was just, that was like I, that whole thing was so upsetting that I felt like I had to get that drunk on someone's special day and, like, potentially ruin something so great, which I didn't. But so it was okay. And then the next weekend, which is the last time I drank. So I actually just celebrated two years sober on October 29th. Um, so this was the next weekend, so Halloween weekend. And I, I told my sister cause the previous weekend before was the engagement and I was just like still mortified from it. And I was running around town dressed as uh, Wednesday Adams telling my sister, I'm like, I'm not going to drink. And she's like, okay, Colleen, we'll see how that ends up. So then dressed as Wednesday Adams, I, I blacked out. So I guess maybe I can consider my sober day uh, October 28th since I was dressed as someone else. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Interjection, no, that doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, so, yeah, so that was actually the last time I drank, and I had no I, – I woke up on Sunday, hung over, never thought that would be the last time I would drink. But, you know, it's always I'm feeling sorry for myself ordered um, this naked mind on Amazon. I think it came in Monday or Tuesday and I just read that and like things started clicking. I'm like, okay, this, this kind of makes it seem not so difficult. And then, um, then I started, you know, devouring books, pull up your podcast, pull up multiple other podcasts, just binge listening to them. Like anything. I'm like, Oh my God, these people, they're just like me. Like, you know, I saw something in everybody's story. I was, I didn't really have the courage at that point. I, I was 28 when I got sober to go to AA. Um, I was I was so scared that 
if I went there and I didn't feel like I connected with people, it would drive me back to drinking because I didn't want to, I was too scared to go back to drinking and I didn't want any reason to, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, so a week sober, I'm actually a couple days sober. I ended up having a wedding in New Orleans. So I got there on the Thursday and my last drinking day was on a Saturday. So as you can imagine, that was a really tough city to be in a couple days sober. And I got through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, through Diet Coke and coffee. I probably gave myself more anxiety from all the caffeine. But by Saturday night, the actual wedding, it was, it was so beautiful. And they, they were just passing around a tray of champagne. And I turned to my husband. I'm like, should I just have one? Like, I've made it this far all weekend. Like, can't I just have one? He goes, do you really think you'll be proud of yourself, like, in the morning after all this, like, work you're doing and about being sober. And I'm so thankful I did not pick up that one glass of champagne because if you do, you never know how long it's going to take to get sober. And I, that moment it will just stick with me. So, um, yeah. And then I had another wedding a month later and it was a little easier. And then I moved into the holidays. I could have used your book that year um, <laughs> around the holiday. <laughs> around the holidays um and it was it's it, getting sober at a relatively young age is a something it was a little difficult for me to navigate because um, my friends were either at a point where they're going out partying or having kids settling down and it was definitely uh, a transition trying to relook at friendships I thankfully didn't lose any friends but they're just a very different dynamic and the same thing with my relationship. Like we really had to work through um, just our social life because at five months sober, I got diagnosed with celiac disease. So I couldn't eat gluten. So I was like, Oh my God. Okay. So I, I, I don't drink alcohol anymore. I, I'm not very fun to go to restaurants with. I'm like, what do I have left? Like eating and drinking is my thing. Like I love food. Um, so just navigating my relationship with Aaron and, what we have in common and just setting he's a late night person. I'm an early person. Just when do we go home from parties? It was, we've got come a long way from that um, from two years ago to learning social situations um, and to like find commonalities again, but really we just enjoy each other's company. Um, so yeah, I just look back and um, there's just, I'm pretty proud to like see some of the challenges I've worked through and even in this whole time as well. Like, so Aaron and I pretty much wanted to have kids right when we got married and that wasn't working. So I'm like, okay, like I'll just go to the doctor, see if I have celiac, which I did. So I'm like, okay, now that I'm diagnosed eating gluten-free, like it'll be all good. We'll have kids. Uh, so that still wasn't working. Um, and then it was pretty much unexplained. So we, We've gone through the whole IVF process. We had a failed transfer. And and I just, like, can't imagine doing all of this with, like, drinking. That would have drove me off the edge if I was drinking. And now I'm like, okay, I can sit with this. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, there are so many hard things that have happened just in these last two years of being sober that I've dealt with so much more. And I, I didn't mention before in between one of my job changes, I ended up getting melanoma and I didn't have insurance because it was changing over for the job. And that just set me off a rail. I'm like, I have no money to pay for this. So I ended up drinking like two bottles of wine. That was my solution <laughs> to dealing with that. And I'm like, 
I'm so happy I didn't bring those old coping mechanisms into my sobriety and like just going off the rails. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on and, um, but I'll just wrap this, start wrapping this up, but I'm just very thankful that I found sobriety and then I feel like with sobriety, there's so much personal development that just goes along with it. I think I, I don't think we call it self-help anymore, but I think I get like a personal development book like once a week and my journey is just been, I, I see why certain things have happened in my life to get me where I am. And I'm just so thankful um, for these, these last two years because I, I can't imagine what my life would be like if I was still drinking. It would just, it would be the same thing that I was doing. But I've been talking for a while. So <laughs> I'll pass it over. Oh, no, thank you for sharing your story. Don't don't feel like you have to stop talking um, because that's what you're here for. So I thank you for that, for sharing your story. <laughs> um, yeah. I have to ask you, is there a story behind your Instagram handle? It's who invited Colleen. Um, oh, yeah. I, I feel like there's got to be a story behind that. Well, it started as who invited the sober celiac, and I made it right around the time where I found out I had celiac, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, literally, who wants to hang out with the sober celiac? And then I'm like, oh, that's a funny Instagram handle. So then I just started posting gluten-free food and kind of my sobriety. Um, and just having that account is just, like, another level of accountability. Like, okay, the public knows I'm sober. Like, I can't go back on that. Um, same thing with this podcast. I'm, like, telling to the world I don't drink. It's just another layer of accountability. And then my younger cousin who works in marketing, he's like, oh, you should change it to who invited Colleen. I'm like, okay. So I just switched it. <laughs> well, I I actually know another sober celiac, so you're for sure not the only one, but I suspect that it's going well, to be you. Well, she there. was on your podcast a couple um, weeks ago, wasn't she? I think there was I, some, I'm, yeah. But definitely, I know one, Michelle, and that's been a few years since Michelle was on, um, and she told her story. But I don't know that she talked about um, sober celiac because she also talked about um, pers borderline personality disorder and being a treated borderline. But she also um, also is celiac. So she, she <laughs> you know, we all have a lot going on. But it's interesting that, yeah. you, that you mentioned that because tell me what you find in terms of the public perception about being gluten-free versus being alcohol-free. Because my goal, like, as a recovery advocate is to get us to where, I mean, not that I'll do it single-handedly, but if we all tell our stories and we all advocate positively, I feel like people can be just as positive about someone who chooses to be gluten-free or has allergies to other things as that are alcohol-free. But what's your, what's your take on that? What's your experience? It's, I've definitely become so much more confident um, in saying I'm alcohol-free and just standing up for myself. Same thing with gluten. At first, I would just cower down and be like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I don't drink. And then I would be like, why am I sorry? I'm not sorry. Like, but I don't drink. <laughs> That's no big deal. And same thing with being gluten-free. It's like I would apologize to wait staff and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm difficult. Like, I, I'm, I'm not this person. I just have to be. And just constantly apologizing, feeling like I'm less than because I'm not – I feel left out and not part of the group. I did feel like that when I did 
quit drinking. I'm like, oh, everyone else is doing this and I can't do it because I just can't keep a lid on it. And then when, when my gluten and my bread got taken away from me, I was like, oh my God, like what else is there? But now I'm so much more confident in that I don't drink. I tell everybody I don't drink. I think every Uber driver I've had, we talk about recovery in some form. And basically when I go up to restaurants, I have my whole bucket list of items. And if they can't meet it, I'm not eating there. Not in like a mean way. I'm like, I just don't want to get sick. Um, but now it's like, I think it just developed over time. And when I know a lot of people could probably relate to, they try to quit drinking and they've done multiple attempts. So maybe this time they don't want to say it loud and proud because they don't know if it's going to stick. And, you know, that's them for them to decide. And that's how I felt because I tried quitting so many times and I, I didn't know, I don't even think I took myself seriously at first. So, but now just like the confidence grows, you become more comfortable. Like this is my lifestyle. And um, people really do take notice and ask a lot of questions. And it, it's been pretty much overall positive. I did have, Someone joked around with me this weekend. They're like, oh, let's get Colleen to drink. And it was someone we know. And my husband was like, are you kidding? Like, that's such a stupid joke. Like, that was so two years ago. <laughs> like, you've been sober <laughs> for two years now. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had that joke, too, kind of tossed at me at, in social settings where people knew that I wasn't drinking and know that I don't drink, but like, Oh, wouldn't that be funny? Let's get her, let's get her to drink and see what happens. Like, you know, what is this oh mythical gosh, thing that happens funny. when she drinks? And I I just had that same response. Like, Oh brother, like, what a dumb thing to say. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm going to ignore that as if you like asked me, I don't know how much I have in the bank. Like you just committed a yeah. dumb social faux pas. Let's pretend you never said that. It is so stupid. You know? Uh, so I, I totally get that. Um, so you mentioned your husband. Let's talk about that. So your relationship obviously had to shift. Uh, it, does he, is he what we call a normie, a normal drinker, or does he drink less because of your choices? Has he given up alcohol? How has that relationship shifted? Yeah. So like I said, we were pretty heavy drinkers together. I kind of dragged him into it. I looking back, but I mean, his friend group, all heavy drinkers. He still drinks, um, but only when we're, we kind of had some, there's some like non-negotiables I, I put with him just to help me. And like one of our non-negotiables is like, please, if we're out to dinner, like he doesn't order a drink and he wouldn't anyway. He's never been the type. He, he doesn't want to drink alone um, or like no wine in front of me just because that's what I did like to drink. Um, so he still drinks and from where we were two years ago, it was almost a fight every single time we went out. Cause it's like, I want to go home. I'm like, we're married now. Like, I don't think it's a good look if you're staying out late. And he is the nicest guy ever. And I wouldn't, I trust him with my heart. But I'm like, but we're married now. We're a team. We should leave at the same time. And it would always just turn into a lot of issues. And we've had to work through that and just set some ground rules for ourselves. Like even before we went out this past weekend, I'm like, okay, like, let's set a time that, you know, when we want to go home and we can, let's try to stick to that time. So like, we're pretty good about coming up with stuff, but you know, there, there's still times where if like he drinks too much, like we end up getting into a fight, but from where it was two years ago to where it is now, like much better. And I would say he's pretty, it's, 
he's a hard nut to crack because, like, there's times where he'll just have one beer, but then when he's in a certain situation with a certain people, he'll he'll drink a lot, like we used to drink and how our friends still drink. So um, he definitely, he, he makes comments, like, because he sees how well I'm doing, and he's, he's like, you're ahead of the game here. Like, we're still pretty young, and, like, we have such a long life ahead of us. And I think for him, I know this is going to be the worst thing ever, but he's, we think it's like, oh, when we have kids, he almost thinks he's going to quit. And I know that's, like, the cliche of, like, when we have kids, it'll change. But um, that's never guaranteed. Um, but, yeah, I think he kind of sees it in the future that I think he might quit, too, um, just because he sees all the positive changes in me. And he mentions it, too, like, he was hung over two weekends ago, and I know that's the classic time when you're remorseful, but he's got, you're smart. Like, this is not going to be my life forever. And I, and I do believe him on that, and I 100% believe it's his decision, and I tell him, I'm like, Aaron, I never want you to quit for me because I don't want you to end up resenting me, and that's the last thing I want. I'm like, if you want to quit, do it for yourself. Do it so you want to feel better, and um, that's your decision. But, yeah, we're still working through that. That's been one of the hardest parts about this is just figuring out our dynamic. I got sober mm-hmm. three weeks after our wedding or a month or so. You know, that's, I think that's an interesting point, too, is that you, you're young and yet it's early in your relationship. Uh, I mean, I'm talking as an old-timer, right? <laughs> I could be your mom <laughs> age-wise. And, uh, and so, like, literally, my kids are your age. So, I I get that, and yet I I don't say that in a dismissive way. Like what I really love is that you get to build from now going forward. You know, you you're it, so it's really nice. It's not like someone who has to change course after 25 years of marriage and and try to uproot things that have been in place for a really long time. In a way, it probably feels like a disadvantage in some ways, but in other ways, it's an advantage to you know be building as with this as part of your normal, even though, yeah, you, you kind of changed the game fairly quick after you got married. Did your husband at that time then, was he like, did, well, did he go through a grieving period of all at all of losing his drink? Oh, buddy? Because my husband 100%. definitely did. Yeah. And he was yeah. kind about it, but it was definitely something that he had to get acceptance around. And I just had to let him have his feelings around that because to me, I mean, I, I wanted him to accept it, but I, uh, it was non-negotiable. It was like, it, it, it kind of doesn't matter what you think I have to do it anyway. So yeah. it, I hope you find your way through that. What was that like for you then and for him? We definitely, and I forgot to mention this, like even like when I quit drinking, I met up with a sober buddy from an online Facebook group. And I, I think I started crying to her. I was like probably 30 days sober and like just so raw and like just trying to figure everything out. I'm like, I just, feel like I lost my best friend and it was alcohol and I just remember just crying in this coffee shop probably looking crazy but it was the same thing with Aaron and I and I adapt to change a lot quicker um I'm like okay I have celiac gluten-free let's go that's how life's got to be I'm sober now this is life I change and I deal with things a lot quicker than him and he's much slower to process with which is fine so we, we talk about it a lot and we talked about it a lot. And um, right when I got sober, I'm like, I'm, and I almost, I felt guilty for being the one that changed the relationship so much. And I, but I'm like, Aaron, would you rather have me drinking? And I told him, 
at one point when he was, you know, cause you get sad if you're not drinking and like a big event, like, or he would, I wouldn't. Um, and I'm like, Aaron, like I could drink at this event, but that drinking means I'll be drinking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like you can't have one or the other. I can't pick and choose when I want to drink because it's just going to turn into what it was. Um, so we definitely did grieve our old selves. Now we kind of laugh when we see other people heavily drinking, like, whoa, I can't believe we used to do that. Like, that was so unhealthy of us. But, yeah, there's definitely – and it only comes out every once in a while where he gets sad about it, but it's definitely much less than what it was. And it was – we did have to I, – I think somebody told me at some point, you have three marriages in your life, either with different people or um, the person you marry changes three times. And I joke around that I've changed like six times since we've been married. But, um, but yeah. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I'll have to look into that more uh, offline because that, that's a really interesting idea. It's true. We do go through great big shifts in our lives. And if you're going to be with one person for a long time, you got (laughs) to, your your relationship obviously changes, um, hopefully always for the better. Colleen, you touched on your experience with in vitro and how your sobriety is serving you well through that. Statistically, I think it's it's uh, fair to assume that we have some listeners who have shared in that experience and uh, are either struggling to get it through it sober or who are not getting through it sober. Uh, I just wonder if you can speak to anyone who's listening that's in the thick of that and share what what your sobriety means to you in the heart of that whole part of your life. Yeah, so um, I don't know, whatever I believe in God or whatever you believe in, um, I really think things happen in your life that um, are meant for a reason. And I think I was meant to quit drinking, so I quit drinking. I was meant to find out I have celiac so I can get my health in order. And then as I'm getting that in order, like, you know, we're still not able to get pregnant. We just, I went to a, a free fertility checkup and I, I there wasn't really a definite answer it was I they thought I might have had polycystic ovarian syndrome but I didn't have the typical symptoms of it and at this point um, I'm probably about seven months sober um, and going through all this stuff and a big part of like so we do I don't know if everyone knows the terms but like IUI just like the steps going up to it any of your listeners going through IVF probably know all the acronyms (laughs) but um so we we do all that stuff and the first so in IUI it's a little less invasive than IVF and I was about a year sober so it was around Thanksgiving last year when we did that it didn't work and I was devastated. Like anything you do like extra to get pregnant and it doesn't work out. It's almost like, I don't like if I was drinking, I would have gone off the rails. So I really feel for people who don't have some time under their belts um, going through this because physically you're going to make, make it through. Like it's not for me, my experience, it wasn't, it's not horrible. Like it's, it's fine. It's the emotional roller coaster of, you know, waiting to see if it worked or having your family and friends ask you, especially since I got sober right after I got married and people kept asking me if I was pregnant and I basically wanted to punch everyone in the face, but I just smiled and said, Oh no, we're not maybe later. <laughs> but 
it's just such an emotional time. And, um, and I really feel for, like I said, for people that don't have time under their belt to deal with that, because it would be so easy to just drink a bottle or two of wine to just numb it. But really, it's just, it's not good for your body. And when you're doing the IVF process, you can't drink alcohol anyway. So it's like, it would have been me doing IVF pretty much in the same mindset I had during that first dry January, like miserable because I'm doing IVF, miserable because I'm not drinking. So if I had any advice, like if people are listening to the podcast, you probably want to quit drinking at some point in your life. You know what drinking's like. And if you've done a cycle of IVF, you know what drinking and going to a cycle of IVF is like. Why not try to really just put in the work and, and do it, get a little sober time to try it out and see how that goes. And it's just, it's, you're so much more mentally stable because of it. And just all of the personal development I've done of just bringing myself back into the present and like not catastrophizing everything. It's just, okay, you know, you're going to get through it. There's so many, like being sober isn't all rainbows and butterflies. There are hard days, but you deal with it at the time. So it doesn't linger. You're not drinking a bottle of wine and dealing it with it tomorrow with anxiety. I don't know if that would help. I'm like, just try it out sober. It's so much, it's like, it's, for what a crappy situation it is, it's, it's a little bit easier um, sober if you have a tiny bit of time under your belt. You know, it, you make me think of what I often say is that drinking is just putting a pushing pause on our feelings and then they just kind of, you know, back up until we're ready to feel them again, but they don't go away. They just, they have to be felt eventually. And, um, and so then it's just harder later because then there's more. And so the thing that's great about sobriety is also the thing that's hard is that you feel all of your emotions and it's great because your positive emotions, you feel more, but you also really feel the full force of the hard stuff, but then you move through it faster if you're not hitting pause all the time, right? Like you literally move through it faster. And, um, I really, I think there's a lot to be said for that, even though it might feel like it's too much, I can't do it. You probably can, you just don't want to. You know, we're all like bracing ourselves for feelings and thinking, you know, I can't take it. This is going to be too hard, whatever it is. And um, and then when when you're experiencing it, uh, you're realizing, okay, I'm doing this. I'm moving through it. And uh, and it goes on. You mentioned personal development and self-help books. You mentioned this naked mind, which, gosh, Annie Grace, just she has helped so many people. It. It just, it makes me so happy, the work that she's doing and the people that she's helping. What are some of your other favorite books that you find yourself recommending? So I really, so if you're looking to like make any like changes, whether it's drinking or um, just any lifestyle change, uh, there's one that I love that I read around August of this year, was Little Habits, Big Change. And it's all about making tiny little changes, Um just to create a big change and not trying to change your life, even though I, I kind of do that all the time, <laughs> but little tiny habits that create a big change in your life. Um, just, I, I just read another book. It was a, it's just called self-compassion and it's 
really about being compassionate towards yourself and giving yourself grace. That was another good one. Um, if you're looking into like different people's personalities, like or dynamics in your life, I just read Personality Plus. It, it highlights four different types of people, and people usually fall within one of the four. Really like that one. Um, gosh, what else is there? And I've read all the sober books. I love them all, and I can't wait to read yours. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now we have just rounded out our hours. So before I let you go, I have to ask you, well, I want to congratulate you on your two-year milestone that you just celebrated. And did you do anything special? And what do you do to mark your sober birthdays and other important milestones in your sobriety? Oh, my gosh. This is the lamest, going to be the lamest response ever. (laughs) I was driving driving to Indianapolis from Chicago on the 29th and uh, I was like oh today's my my two-year anniversary and I just texted my husband I didn't celebrate Um, I I don't so the first year I was really tied to like the days and I was so excited to hit one year and I was so excited to hit two years I'm happy to get another day but this has become so much of my lifestyle that I kind of stopped counting so the two years just crept up on me it's just not something I I think about as much anymore and uh, it's just part of my life but I mean I probably cook what did I do I cook something at home because I don't really go out (laughs) that much but yeah no it was exciting I think it's more so just like a personal thing like I don't really need like a big party or anything like that it's just more of like yeah you're you're kind of a bad b I didn't want to swear on the podcast (laughs) Well, I guess you I guess you celebrated by sharing your story here too. We could look at it that way, but that this is this will we'll have a little party for you right here. So streamers, oh, confetti, woo, happy birthday. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Um, I know you have a website and you are available to do coaching with people. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you if they'd like to get in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my website is Colleen Schroeder. So S C H R O E D E R dot com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Who Invited Colleen. Um, I started an eight week program. I kind of just pulled together bits and pieces of everything I did in my early sobriety, like tips and tricks, and put together some modules for um, an eight week course with coaching. So if you'd be interested. I love helping people. It's pretty new, and I've helped a couple ladies, and we're just having a good time. It's basically just getting, being friends in sobriety and helping each other out. I love that. Well, that's great. Okay, so listeners, if you would like to reach out to Colleen, you can reach her through her website. And, again, it's ColleenSchroeder.com. And thank you so much for celebrating your birthday by being here with us on the oh, Bubble Hour Oh, thanks so much Colleen. for having me. I, I don't know why I was so nervous. <laughs> Right? I know. You know, there's no math questions on this show. There's nothing hard. You just got to stand in your truth and and tell your story. And I'm so glad you did. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you so much. And Colleen, just stay on the line. I'm going to play some music for our listeners, for those who love this song and and like to listen to it right to the end. Uh, Some of you probably don't listen to this song because goodness knows you've heard it enough times. But anyway, I'm going to play it and I'm going to say goodbye to all of you. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And until next time, take good care. Not proud that that was 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.